Well, good morning and welcome to our message this morning. It was so great to see a few of you on the Zoom call a little while ago. And for those of you that couldn't make it, just want you to know that we really missed you. And for all of us, we long to see each other face to face. Uh, one day this will be over. Uh, but until then, can I encourage you to stay uh, close to Jesus, stay close to community um, with each other, and keep our eyes fixed on eternity. Our Bible reading this morning is taken from John chapter 21, and I think you should pause this video now, get your Bible, read through John 21, and then come back. So John chapter 21, and it's the whole chapter. I'll give you a second to do that. Now, this story is definitely my favorite story in the whole of John's Gospel, and it might be my favorite story in the whole Bible. It's a chapter for people who have uh, failed Jesus. Uh, it's a story about failed disciples and a failed fishing trip and a bry on the beach and an awkward conversation with Jesus. And I think one of the reasons that it excites me so much is because I can identify so closely with what's going on here. Uh, it's a painful story from beginning to end, but it's so human and it captures so much of our experience in our walk with Jesus in this life. It teaches us that conversion isn't the end of the story, uh, that receiving the life of Christ and believing in Jesus, uh, that's not where things stop. It's, it's not the end. In fact, it's just um, the end of the beginning. It, it's where things really get going. For each of us, the story lasts a lifetime. And the story is how Jesus uses his power after the resurrection to restore his followers, to restore his followers for all time who will suffer the same uh, failures that these disciples suffered the nights before Jesus was crucified. Uh, Jesus is revealing himself. He is showing his work in an incredibly special way. Because in this story in John 21, we see clearly what Jesus does with failed disciples. What Jesus does with you and I uh, when things don't go according to plan. What does the resurrection mean for us who at times have felt uh, like we've abandoned Jesus or we've betrayed Jesus or we've let Jesus down or we've just run away from him altogether? John chapter 21 is a chapter, it's a story for failures, for people who feel that they have let Jesus down in small ways or big ways. People who worry that now they have nothing to offer Jesus. People who are scared that Jesus might no longer want anything to do with them because of the way that they have treated him along the way. Perhaps um, that's you this morning. Or perhaps that's something that you have felt in your Christian walk. And John 21 is a chapter for you. I know that it's a chapter for me. Uh, who at times we can feel like we could not possibly be of any use to God ever again. And, and those feelings become so great within us that they begin to define us. To the point where we begin to avoid God, we avoid Jesus, and we avoid serving others. What I want you to know this morning is that your failure, your sin does not define you. Jesus doesn't define you by your own failures. So this is a story of what the resurrection means for you and for I today. It breaks itself up into two parts. 
in chapter 21. Firstly, you've got verses 1 to 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples of the Sea of Galilee. And we're told at the end of this little section that this was the third time that he had done this. Now, the fact that they were at Galilee was a good thing because that's where Jesus had told them to go and to wait for him. Uh, Peter says, hey, come guys, let's go fishing. Um, and that wasn't a weird thing to do. It wasn't like, hey, we're on holiday, let's go fishing. These guys were fishermen. And so Peter says, hey, listen, let's go do the one thing that we still know how to do, uh, the one thing that we're actually good at. And so the disciples get into the boat, they go out with him, they go out at night, which is the best time to catch fish. Uh, they would have known this, and they catch absolutely nothing. Early on the next morning, Jesus stands on the shore and he kind of shouts out to them, Hey guys, any fish? To which they reply, I'm sure not enthusiastically, no, no fish. And so Jesus says to them, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So we've got to understand a couple of things. Geographically, the disciples are where they're supposed to be. They're waiting for Jesus. But what we see working itself out here are a couple of really important truths about who Jesus is and what kind of power he has. Firstly, we see that he still has power uh, over creation. He has power over time. He has knowledge over small things that are going on. So when he says, guys, throw your nets onto the right-hand side of the boat, you got to understand they fished all night. They probably thrown right. They probably thrown left. They caught nothing. But now Jesus says, Throw your nets out again. He's in complete control, has complete mastery, and completely rules over these things so that the disciples do now catch fish. And I don't think it's just foreknowledge that's going on here. I think Jesus made sure that this happened in this particular way. But then we see as the story unfolds that the disciple whom Jesus loved in verse 7 says, It's the Lord. Peter, when he hears this, jumps out the boat and well, swims as fast as he can to get to the shore. He grabs his cloak, he was kind of you know, doing work, he grabs it, he jumps in and he swims. What's going on there? Well, what we're beginning to see uh, is the disciples who would have been incredibly traumatized by not just the death of Jesus and not just the resurrection of Jesus that they had now seen, but the reality that they had let him down so horribly in what was arguably uh, the moment where he needed them the most. Here's his most difficult moment in his life, going to his death, and the disciples abandon him. And Peter denies him three times. So what's going on here? Surely in the disciples' minds, they must have been asking themselves, are we of any use to Jesus? Are we going to be reinstated or is he going to now cast us aside in favor of those who haven't failed him in this incredibly clutch moment? And Peter would have known just for a moment there that, hang on, here I am. Jesus just did something through me. He caught fish through me. And he would have remembered, I think, he would have remembered a story earlier on in Jesus' life where they were also out fishing and they also caught nothing. And Jesus said, cast your net one more time. And begrudgingly they did, and this time they caught a bunch of fish. And Jesus said to them, no longer will you be fishers of fish, but rather you will become fishers of men. And so Peter jumps in and he swims to shore and he meets Jesus. And there Jesus is. He's got a little fire going on the beach. 
with some burning coals and there was some fish on it and there was some bread. And the other guys bring the boat in and Jesus says, listen, get some more fish so that we can cook those also. Now there's a bunch of details that are going on here. And one of those details is that uh, is not just reminiscent of previous stories of fishing, but it's also the charcoal fire. There was also a charcoal fire back in John chapter 18, where Jesus, where Peter, when Jesus was being tried, and where Peter was warming himself around the fire with the other servants, when he denied Jesus those three times. So there is something that's getting set up here. But before we get to that, we need to see what Jesus does. He's incredibly kind, he's incredibly compassionate towards his disciples, but more than that, he provides for them in the catch, and then he provides breakfast for them. What we see Jesus doing here with disciples once again is he is serving them. You see, Jesus never stops serving his followers. And even in the midst of their failure, he still serves them. And it's actually in his serving them, it's in his feeding them, uh, that we see that that restoration, that that reconciliation is actually taking place. You know, Peter and the disciples are going, could Jesus ever uh, possibly use me again? And the answer is yes. After failing Jesus, every single one of us feels that God can't really ever use us again in any significant way. But the resurrection of Jesus means that the power that he had before is the same power that he has now. In fact, he's more powerful now. He uses that power to restore his followers to himself. You see, the resurrection of Jesus isn't just his rule and reign. It's also his remaking of us. It is his rebuilding of us. That is his goal. And so when we fail, it's not the end. When we fail, Jesus doesn't define us by our failures, and neither should we define ourselves by his failures. Jesus uses his ruling power that he demonstrates that he still has to make sure that our relationship with him is restored. That's an incredibly beautiful thing that we've got going on here. And we need to be careful because we're not really the kind of people who like to be served. But as we've learned already, the, the first step in following Jesus, and now we see the first step in being restored to Jesus, is letting him serve us. We know that he does that chiefly uh, through his death on the cross, that he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to give his life as a ransom for you. So I wonder this morning if in your uh, fears and your failures, you'll let Jesus come into your life and serve you today. And in that serving you, in that feeding you like he does here with the disciples, you'll allow him to restore you into that relationship that he so longs and so desires to have for you. It's why the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us so that he could have a relationship with you, and so that in your failure, he could restore you. You know, the incredible thing about this story is that really, at its heart, it's a picture of the story of the whole Bible. The entire story of the Bible is summed up in just this scene, in just this image. In one single meal, everything that God has been doing in the whole Bible is there. Jesus 
came into the world to rescue and to save and restore failures like you and I, who have failed God in so many ways, and yet he still longs to have that relationship with you and with me. It's incredible, isn't it? It's deep. But that's not the end of the story. It carries on in the second half of the chapter in verse 15, where Jesus asks Peter three very personal questions in a very, very public setting. Right after breakfast, Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Why is Jesus doing this? Well, remember, Peter's denial was really public. It happened in front of a number of different people. And so Jesus' restoration of Peter also had to be public. Now, I think this is also one of the most moving passages in all of the New Testament to watch how Jesus takes Peter in his failure and in this awkwardness and in, in, his, in this humble state and begins to rebuild him and remake him and restore him in order that he can exalt him. Jesus uh, restores Peter in his failure in two ways. Firstly, he restores him personally. That's the first question that Jesus asks. Peter, do you love me? He actually asks him, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, if you just backspace a little bit, you'll remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, Peter said, Lord, you know, why can't we go with you? Where are we going? I'll go anywhere with you, Lord. I'll even die for you. I'll give my life for you. Uh, I'll never fall away. And Peter, Jesus says to Peter, look, actually, you're going to deny me three times. And that's what happens. That's how this story plays out. And so Jesus asks the same question three times so that Peter, in the same way that he denied Jesus three times, can articulate his love for Jesus three times. There's something incredibly wonderful about this because even though Peter had rejected the living Jesus uh, those times, Jesus knows that Peter still loves him. You know, friends, when we fail, it, it's not because we stopped loving Jesus. It's not because we don't love Jesus. Oftentimes there are things that well up within us, our sinful nature that overtakes us. And so that in that moment, you know, in that moment we, we stop loving Jesus and we choose ourselves and we choose something else above Him. But oftentimes we don't stop loving Jesus. We're overcome or we're overrun. And what we need to know is that Jesus knows that. He knows whether or not we love him. He knows here that Peter loves him. He knows that even though we betray him or disobey him or fall him, in our hearts, we do still love him and he still accepts our love when we disappoint him. You see, Jesus is not trying to humiliate Peter, but he's rather driving Peter back. He's taking Peter back uh, to the scene of the crime. He, he, that's where all those details are in this passage, that thing about the charcoal fire. Because sometimes, in fact all the time, Jesus has to take us back to that point in time where we sinned in order that we might be restored. 
uh, Peter had a, a problem of, of spiritual pride, of spiritual self-righteousness, uh, of spiritual self-confidence. He thought that he was better than the other disciples, more enlightened than the other disciples, stronger spiritually or more brave than the other disciples, uh, more committed than the other disciples. And this is the complete lack of his own self-knowledge and self-awareness that Jesus is dealing with. But that too is something that we also struggle with. And so Jesus goes digging in Peter's heart. Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples? And Peter doesn't say, yeah, I do love you more than these disciples. He just says, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus says, well, then feed my lambs. Jesus asks them again, verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He says, well, then take care of my sheep. And then he asks him the third time, Simon, do you love me? And, and Peter becomes quite hurt because of this. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Friends, there are times that we, and you can just, like Peter, I think Peter's just feeling, he's, he's not just so hurt that Jesus keeps asking him, but, but he's so hurt by his own guilt and sin. There are times that we can feel so guilty and so ashamed of our sin and it might be because we've done something or because we haven't done something or because there's been a period of backsliding in our life. And the failure seems so great that we cannot possibly face up to Jesus. But part of the point that, that Jesus is driving home for Peter and for us is that failure isn't final. It's a bitter lesson that Peter has to learn as he is confronted uh, by his own sinfulness. And yet it is a lesson that he learns. And in doing this, Jesus answers the question, uh, Peter, uh, can you still serve me? And the answer is, yes, you can. Because three times, Jesus says, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. In Jesus restoring uh, Peter, there's this in the incredible little process that goes on. He's, he's humbling Peter in order that he might exalt him. But what we need to understand is that there can be no restoration without repentance. And there can be no repentance without a recognition of the failure. Let me say that again, all right? There is no restoration without repentance. And there is no repentance without a recognition of the failure that took place. Friends, it's only in opening our failure to Him and being truthful and honest with the questions that Jesus is asking us, that we can experience the same restoration that Peter experienced, that we can finally have that guilt removed and done away with. Uh, when we realize that we should and can have no confidence whatsoever in ourselves, and that our confidence is found only in Jesus. Uh, secondly, Jesus restores Peter posturally. Uh, Peter is remade for ministry. Uh, even when we're restored personally, it's still possible that we can think to ourselves that we're no good for the Lord or for the kingdom or for serving Him or for serving other people, uh, that we're of no use. And so Jesus restores Peter posturally. He restores him for ministry. He deals with Peter so that if, any, if ever anyone comes up to him and says, Hey, Peter, didn't you deny Jesus three times? Peter and the other disciples can say, Yes, he did. Yes, I did. But you know what? 
Jesus restored me, and this is what happened. Now, this is incredibly important for a couple of reasons. Number one, the devil wants to take us away from serving Christ and to stop us from serving others as we shine as lights in this world. He wants us to focus on ourselves and on our own disqualification rather than on serving Jesus through serving others. You know, in the world that we live in with social media and the internet, if you do something, you're never forgiven for it. If you're accused of doing something, that is never forgotten. But that's not the way that it works with the risen Jesus. The psalmist writes that as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sins from us. It's one of the reasons why I love confession. I love corporate congregational confession because we bring the things that are hidden and done in darkness into the light. We bring them before the Lord and we do it with confidence because we know that he has promised to forgive those who earnestly and truthfully and humbly repent. And that's what we see going on here. We see that forgiveness taking place as Peter confesses, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Lord, you know all things. You know my heart. You know that I love you. And what's more is that when Jesus restores us, he doesn't just forgive Peter. It's like, hey, Peter, you're forgiven. Stay there. Let me get on with these other disciples who didn't mess up so badly. He says, now, Peter, you're forgiven. Now feed my sheep. Now tend my lambs. Now feed my sheep. You see, Jesus never leaves us at the point of forgiveness. Peter replies, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, that's great. Now go and serve my people. Remember, Jesus said by this, the whole world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so here Jesus is saying to Peter, okay, now you go and love my sheep by serving them. Any serving that we ever do, and I think Peter's uh, serving, this, this fire is lit underneath him. He'll never deny Jesus again. And actually, like Peter goes on, uh, Jesus goes on in this passage to tell Peter that he'll, his arms will be stretched out and that he'll be crucified. Uh, that's a story we don't have time for today, but it's interesting because even then Peter says, but you know, jo what about John, Jesus? I'm going to be crucified, but what about him? And Jesus says, listen, Peter, don't worry about the other disciples. Don't worry about John. You follow me. But, but here's the point that we need to get arrive at, is that any serving that we do has to come out of a sense of our own forgiveness, a sense of our own experience of God's grace in our lives. You know, you don't have to be elected to serve. You don't even have to be asked to serve. Serving Jesus as we serve other people grows out of our love for Jesus as you seek the spiritual good of the people in your life. Forgiveness is not just about having the slate wiped clean. Jesus comes and takes the initiative and then he molds us and shapes us into followers who are useful for ministry and service in the kingdom of God. And that ministry and service isn't about grand gesture, gestures. It's not about key KSPIs, KPIs, KSPIs, key spiritual performance indicators. It's, it, it's, it's born out of a true experience of having received the love of Jesus and loving him in return. The key qualifications for Christian usefulness and ministry are not great gifts or influence or powerful experiences or positive energy. It is a love for Jesus. And that love for Jesus is a living proof 
is the living proof that you have been restored to him personally and he has set you aside for ministry to feed his sheep, to tend his lambs, and to feed his sheep. Friends, the, this word to us this morning is a great word for failures and for the people of God. We all come week by week with some uh, sense or some knowledge that we have failed Jesus in some way. You may have failed Jesus catastrophically. You may be suffering with bitterness. You may be uh, suffering uh, with some failure that's small, but is just niggling at you all the time, all the time, all the time. You may be feeling the guilt of your own failure. Perhaps you're feeling disqualified for service. Well, friends, what I want to say to you this morning is that John 21 is a passage for you to come back to for the rest of your life because it is a source of joy and hope for us. Since Jesus has been raised from the dead, his power is even greater than ever before, and he uses that power to restore you to himself in the midst of your failures, and he restores you to himself in order that he might use you in this world to serve him. He directs you to find ways of loving him as you serve others, and keep on doing that. All the glory and the majesty and the power and the authority of God, he uses us to draw us closer to himself, not to push us away. What I want you to know this morning is that your guilt, both objective and subjective, has been dealt with at the cross of Jesus Christ. And that when he comes and he confronts you in his failure, when in your failure, he never comes and confronts you in your failure, just says, you failed. He, he, he comes and he brings with him that, with that confrontation forgiveness and reconciliation and a restored relationship with himself. He doesn't say, hang on, you failed. He, he comes and says, you failed and I have forgiveness. I have the key. I have the solution. I have the medicine and the balm that you need for your soul. Will you take it and will you accept it? It's a great word to failures this morning. And it's a great word to us as Jesus' sheep. Because Jesus shows us the priority that he has for his sheep, for you and I. His herd, his flock, that's the church that he puts into uh, local congregations. And he puts shepherds there to, to feed the sheep. But Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. Southern Cross isn't my church. It doesn't belong to the pastors or to the bishops. It's not Dez's church or Matt's church. It's Jesus' church. And, and look at how Jesus puts himself in the middle of all of us. He says to Peter, feed my sheep. He doesn't say to Peter, feed your sheep. He says, feed my sheep. The flock is so uh, precious to Jesus that he will make sure that it is cared for and it is looked, looked after. You know, earlier on in John, we, we were told that we hear Jesus' voice and we know it and we follow it. Uh, the job of the pastor and those who feed the sheep is to lead the people into Jesus' voice. But we need to understand that Jesus places himself inside of the sheepfold and he identifies with the sheep. Because what does he say? Feed my sheep. Friends, what you need to hear this morning is that you are incredibly precious to Jesus. He loves you dearly. And you need to hear that because if you have failed him this morning, and that is something that you are struggling with right now, 
you need to know that just like he did with the other disciples and just like he did with Peter, where he served them on the beach that day with breakfast and he restored them into his service, he wants to do that for you. And the only thing that might be stopping that in your life is your own guilt that you're feeling. It's your own resistance. And you need to get rid of that. You need to come to Jesus. You need to let him confront you with the questions that he's going to ask you. And you need to respond with those words that Peter responded with. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And let his love and his forgiveness and the hope and joy that comes from a relationship with Jesus just wrap its arms around you, let it envelope you, and just experience that grace and that forgiveness all over again. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are not defined by our failures, that you don't define us by our failures, but you define us by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Father, forgive us our sins and restore us to yourself and restore us to fruitful service of you as we love people around us and seek their spiritual good and well-being. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.